Greetings and welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is episode 21. Wow. Wow. Episode 21. Does that mean we're old enough to drink? We're old enough to... Or something. We've been old enough to kill. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've been, we have been killing it for a while. You're right. I like that, Matt Welch. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, I am Camille Foster of Freethink Media. Uh, I am delighted to be with you today uh, to be bringing you another installment of this remarkable program. It, it is hard to describe exactly what we do here. I'm not, I'm not sure how, uh, but it is engaging and it is an ed- educational, uh, occasionally controversial, frequently erotic. What? <laughs> uh, it's wonderful is what I'm trying to get across here. Um, Shouldn't I am, you like repeat the uh, tagline, man? Like, yeah, no, that's analysis, the, tag, that's the new commentary tagline. sedition. Yes, mostly sedition. Okay. Um, I, uh, I do have some unfortunate news up front here. Um, as, as you've already heard, I am here with uh, Matt Welch, editor-at-large at Reason Magazine. He is delighted to be here. I know. I'm not going to ask. Um, but unfortunately, our versatile and delightfully verbose regular collaborator, Michael Moynihan of Vice News, is on assignment someplace. He cannot be with us in the studio today. Do you think he does that annoying fake British accent on <laughs> television too? Or is he the or fake he British just, accent from yeah. Boston? I don't I don't know how that whole thing works. Um, as I understand he's in the field on some sort of uh, assignment. Uh, I'm told it isn't dangerous, uh, but according to the notes that were passed along to me, it uh it does involve Asians. That is all. That is the one word that mm-hmm. appears there, Asians. Not Gaysians. Which is odd. Yeah. It's not racist and odd. It's just kind of odd. Um, but we do have a special guest with us in the studio today. Um, he is a, uh, a dear friend, uh, a wonderful person. No, he's not uh, a wonderful person. I think he is. All right. It's subjective. Value is You're subjective. You're going to eat those words uh, in a couple Michael, months. Michael Malice, author, television commentator, internet troll, uh, delightful person, um, I wonder some of those things don't seem to correspond with being delightful, uh, but mind. he is. Uh, but his uh, his most recent book project, uh, Black Man White House, uh, which he uh, co-wrote with D.L. Hugh, very funny book uh, from what I hear. I haven't read it yet. I acknowledge as much publicly. What I have read, however, is Dear Reader, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il, which is another of Michael Malice's books. Brilliant, wonderful, funny, interesting, insightful. Fun fact, Michael is also the subject of uh, Harvey Picard's uh, Ego and Hubris. Like He is like literally the guy who the book is about. Um, I read it on a flight from Europe to Africa, like straight through, and uh, I've never felt closer to another human being. I'm scared to read it. Yeah, you should. Yeah. It's good. Michael Malice, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Matt, I promise you, if you read it, you would enjoy it enormously. I know. I you know should. that I would. I'm, you just, I'm just scared to. That doesn't mean... Yeah, no. I'm yeah. just... And it, and it is I'm illustrated. I'm scared of those feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Are you scared to be versatile like Michael Moynihan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Uh, I want to point out that this is... Uh, we're doing some pretty good fan service here because of all the people that have been on Twitter who follow us at We The Fifth... Yes. Um, uh, people making suggestions of guests. I think Malice is probably number one. Is that true? Out there. I think this so. Yeah, we've, we've gotten yeah. about oh. yeah. five, six requests. Like, when are you going to have Malice on the show? That's yeah. sweet. Yeah. I didn't, wow. didn't want to give him to them too soon because exactly. my thinking was, you know, we need to really develop. You need to develop an affection for us before you develop an affection for him. Uh, but he's here now. I am. Uh, and he's going to help bring clarity to this uh 
confusing and complicated world that we inhabit together. Um, uh, it sounds it sounds like uh, well, I'm, I'm going to come back to that later. There's been plenty. There's been plenty that has transpired since the last time we were together. Uh, Wisconsin uh, exploded over the weekend uh, after a, a police involved shooting. Um, a lot of that has seemed to calm down as of the time of this recording, but there is still plenty to explore there. Uh, one Donald Trump might have been hoping to have a much better week this week uh, than last week. Didn't go particularly well. Poll numbers weren't looking great. Uh, but that uh, appears to not be happening. Uh, his uh, campaign is again shrouded in all sorts of odd rumors about a relationship with him and Putin. Uh, he has replaced his uh, his campaign head, if not replaced, I guess diminished. So we'll talk about that a bit. Um, there are, I think that I could probably do like a single show per week on all of the goofy racial stories that happen uh, on any given week. Um, not, not saying Wisconsin is goofy and racial, but there are plenty of them. So uh, we may do a survey of some of those things. Um, there is, uh, some idiot wrote this, of course, and, uh, Gary Johnson, uh, is still trying to make it into the debates, uh, and plenty of other interesting things. I figure we'll start at the top, Matt, with, uh, the Gary Johnson of it all. I know you've been following very closely. There have been some new developments this week. Right. We know the polls now. Right. So yeah, the commission on presidential debates, which is a, uh, uh, a, a body that was founded in 1988 to make sure that third parties would never again um, be, uh, join debates. Uh, no, they're, 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 it's uh, appointed equally by Republican and Democratic national committees uh, and co-chaired by them. They came out with their guidelines for the uh, three presidential and one vice presidential debates, if they actually happen uh, for this fall. And that happened on Monday. And they uh, there had been some vague hope that we had talked about last week that they would create some kind of wiggle room. Uh, they previously said that it's going to be you have to get average 15 percent across five national polls uh, as of mid-September. Uh, maybe maybe they'll introduce margin of error. Or maybe they'll say, hey, look, if you're winning some state, this kind of state. No, they didn't introduce anything like that. What they did is they, they said it is 15 percent and these are the five national polls. However, the five national polls that they chose happened to be ones – uh, that basically five out of the six best polls for Gary Johnson out yeah. there. So he's been pulling at around nine percent. Uh, if you look at Real Clear Politics, the recent average is probably closer to eight and a half. Uh, if you look at these five polls, he averages ten percent, and he has been pretty consistently for a while. Um, so the good news for him, they're good polls for him. The bad news for him, it's still ten percent, uh, and you need he has to improve by fifty percent uh, in a month by mid-September, which is a really tall order. Something big and weird has to happen for him to make the polls, and um, and one of the. Uh, Two of the five uh, had been, uh, which is the Fox News poll and the CBS New York Times poll, had not been measuring Jill Stein up till now. So she had a legitimate complaint, although she has no prayer of getting to 15 percent. Um, and one of them, the Fox News poll, said, OK, well, since we're now selected for this, we will start measuring her. So once she gets measured, you can expect his uh, support to go down just a little bit in the Fox News poll. So um, – you know, good news and bad news for him. He has put all his eggs in this basket. He's repeatedly said, we have to get in. We don't have a chance unless we get in. He's fundraising off of it, you know, some kind of 15 for 15. He had a money bomb. He raised a bunch of money yesterday, like a two million bucks, something like that. It, it exceeded their 1.5 million expectations and all this. But it looks like to me that they're setting themselves up for some kind of uh, I don't know what, how you recast your campaign if you absolutely positively needed to get into the debates. And it looks like unless someone's hit by a truck, that's probably not going to happen. 
Yeah. Yeah, but you're telling me there's a chance. I'm telling you there's a chance. A slim I mean, I, I was asked about this, you know, th- two or three months ago of what are the chances that he gets into the debates. Something like six or seven things ha- have to happen to make that happen. We've had five of those things happen. And the, and the getting hit by a truck thing was a joke, though. We don't that that doesn't have to happen. That's no, not pretty one much of the five or six things. No, it, it didn't. But okay. like they'd had to have a string of luck. Yes. Um, but the the bad luck uh, that happened, although it was predictable, was that the lawsuit challenging this was thrown out of court earlier this month. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's funny because I'm an anarchist. Right. So a lot of times when I talk to my friends about politics, they think that my ideas are delusional and not in touch with reality. Uh, the idea that anyone is going to, you know, increase their support by fifty percent in a month is nuts to me, and also the idea that Gary Johnson is going to do well in debate is nuts to me because this is the guy who couldn't manage to get on stage with the Pizza Man four years ago. This is the guy who couldn't compete with Michelle Bachman four years ago. So yes, it's very true that. Hillary and Donald Trump are both regarded as reprehensible and vile by the vast electorate for different reasons. But that necessarily doesn't mean there's an opening for him so much as each side has to be doubling down in their own support because the, their opponent is the devil. And, and it's just kind of this, uh, uh, shifting to the extremes. Well, I mean, he is, it is significant that, you know, he's polling at 10 percent right now compared to 2 percent uh, four years ago. I mean, there has the something significant has happened. It's just not significant enough, I don't think, at this point to get in debates. And you're absolutely right. And this was this irony was not lost on people at the Libertarian Party convention down in Orlando at the end of May. Like, OK, so we're you know, we're going to back William Weld there, you right. know, hold our yeah. nose, a guy who's yeah. not very libertarian, yeah. joined the party 10 days before he was nominated as their vice president. Who endorsed and if, Obama very heavily in a way. We endorsed Kasich this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, like it doesn't add, I mean, it was just recently talking about how Susan Collins is an ideal uh, uh, politician, said in an interview the reason that Merrick Garland is a good Supreme Court nominee <laughs> pick. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you can say about that. But they, but the idea was Gary Johnson said, please let, you know, let me have this guy because, you know, we, we, that is the way that we can finally get into the debates. And a lot of the libertarians, even the ones who held their nose and voted yes on this, said, well, our strategy is to get this guy into the debates. Gary right. Johnson, he's that's that's not yeah. his talent. Yeah, Here's that's the thing. not it, his skill set. It, 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 he might not be like the greatest debater. Um, no, he might not. It, it, he, he might not give you a phenomenal, very good, a phenomenal show. He might not be the oh, quintessential. He sounds like he just had a stroke. Uh, he may not be the quintessential libertarian. <laughs> Trump sounds of like the, he just had a stroke. Of the three, he's a different way, different kind of stroke. Of the three, of of the three guys who were running, though, um, Austin Peterson, John McAfee. <laughs> like, I don't know that the situation would have been better. What about the one who died? Either, either one of the, those two guys make Poor it guy. in the yeah. debates, and and trying to angle to get into the debates seems like the right call. Yeah. I mean, that seems like what, what you ought to have been that, trying to true. do. That's true. However, I'm just going to make one point. The Libertarian Party bills itself as the party of principle, right? Uh-huh. And one of the things that all libertarians agree on across the board is to be against fraud. So you can't call yourself the party of principle and at the same time advocate for having someone like William Weld or even Gary Johnson on the ticket to promote your ideas. That's not being principled. That's being pragmatic. And it's perfectly uh-huh. fine to be pragmatic. Yes. But you can't at the same time say you're the party of principle. It's one or the other. Well, I, or is it? I mean, yeah. maybe, yes, it is. Uh, I, I don't I don't think necessarily that's true. If, if they are ever going to get to a place, if we're in a— Then change the slogan. If I we, agree with you. If we're in a political realignment moment, and that's an uh, uphill if, right? But— Possible. Yes, I agree. Uh, then 
that is the behavior that you would actually expect from them. Like right. let's let's go against uh, two not just hated but weirdly unqualified, yes. depending on how you look at it, yes. uh, candidates here. We'll have the guys who have like track records. Why yeah. not? But let's you have this. to change your slogan. I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, the, the party hasn't changed its platform to suit to suit these two guys. I mean, the bottom line is that they are helping to raise the profile and credentials of the LP. That is gener- generally, generally speaking, what, what, however, however much they're raising it, um, generally speaking, as a goal, like, okay, fine. No. Most voters aren't particularly interested in some of the details that we've talked about in terms of their past endorsements or any of that. Most voters aren't paying attention to any of that crap. At this point, the goal is to try to persuade people that there might be another option apart no. from the Republican no. and if, the Democrat. If I'm political- and I've heard plenty of people who are interested in politics who are disheartened with the other two people in the race, right. so to speak, um, say, well, what are these libertarian folks the, so all to speak about? was a reference to them being people. Yeah. Yes. Right. I thought that was a hop, hop a yes. uh, If I were politically illiterate, like most people are and most people should be. It was an ill you or said illiterate. Ill. Illiterate. Okay. Yes. If I have better things to do with my life than care about politics, uh-huh. unlike the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would look at the Libertarian Party, which I'd never heard of before, and mm-hmm. think it's a party for B-list Republicans. I Maybe. would not think that this is an alternative philosophy with its own worldview. Even because, after yeah. the man boob stripper? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not I mean, sure. That, that's kind of like that Academy Awards yeah. with that. Uh, with the remember when that streaker happened in the sure, 70s? Yeah, yeah, like so it, you would think it's some kind of hippie thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right. Um, that that's certainly a part of the narrative. Although the truth is, for people who know what libertarians are, that has always been a knock um, against libertarians. That you guys are just Republicans who want to smoke pot. Um, which, but there's certain Republicans who want to smoke pot and Republicans who are failures who couldn't compete in the big leagues with the Republican Party. That's what I'm saying. Maybe so. I mean, maybe maybe that's the case. In that case, every single mainstream Republican uh, presidential candidate from this past go round is a uh, complete failure and a fraud. And yes, to be sure, <laughs> including the nominee. And to be sure, there were plenty of longtime Libertarian Party members, including candidates for president, uh-huh. Daryl Perry, chief among them. Sure. Who made your exact point? Yeah, um, that if we just have another couple of uh, Lino Republicans here, uh, right. and if we're successful, this party will die. That yeah. was the prediction. I think they're wrong, but it is an interesting argument. Well, uh, as as I've said in the past, I mean, I think if the LP wants to be successful um, and make uh, make some inroads, they're going to need some charismatic, uh, compelling. You think Gary Johnson's charismatic? No, honestly? no, I, I'm, I didn't say that. Okay, I said if they want to make inroads, they're going to need this. Uh, that's not to say that well, he's they no have Bob Barr. It. That's not to say that they have it now. <laughs> They're going to need it. I want. I want like uh, Foster huh. slash Kennedy. Yeah. Wait. Wasn't yeah. wasn't Pat Someone Buchanan's running that. mate uh, named Foster also? Her last name was Foster. I think. I think you're Jody. Correct. Jody, like, Jody Foster. No, it was like Zareta Foster. Or something crazy. Yeah, there was something weird, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. This feels this feels a little horse racy. Um, it also feels a little sad. So this moving- election is going to be great for Liberty. It's win win win. I don't even I don't know what that means, but it I means whoever you will of the three candidates the wins, it's going to be wonderful for this country. We will get into that. Let's get into that now because uh, because you both have. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, hit the microphone there in my yeah. enthusiasm. Uh, I think you both have competing theories of 
backlash. I don't I don't know what Malice's theory of backlash is now. Well, so I, I think he'll he'll have to unpack that for well, us. Well, I mean, so Camille's been talking about uh, Camille has been the uh, the anti never Trumper uh, in our in our clash Where, here. Where'd you get those ideas, Camille? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, saying that there would be a, like a, a, a potentially a Nixon style backlash against a, a hated executive run amok, mm-hmm. right? But you've been you made that point early in this election with Hillary Clinton, right? Like you've been actively rooting for Hillary Clinton because she will a- absolutely discredit. No, let's look at the data with Hillary. Okay, okay? we have to look at. We can't go by wish fulfillment. Hillary Clinton bl- screwed up healthcare so badly in 1994. She did all her meetings in secret and didn't learn anything from the secrecy back then. She went onto the floor of the House with elected officials, and Dick Armey said, "Thank you for coming here. It's great to have a you know open discussion about healthcare. I'm, I'm interested in the subject." And Hillary Clinton looks at him on the floor of Congress and says, "Yeah, you and Dr. Kevorkian." A reference to the doctor helps people kill themselves. And he says something to the effect of, may I say that your the rep, your reputation of being clever have been overrated and your reputation of being charming have been – you know what I mean? He really had let her have it. This is this woman's character. She blew it up so badly. Socialized medicine, which was seen as inevitable at the beginning of 93-ish or so, has was defeated for a generation. And the Republicans got Congress for the first time in 40 years, leading us to a balanced budget. This was – almost exclusively at her hands. Mm-hmm. And the, the point is with Nixon, not the Nixon backlash, when someone is soulless like Nixon was, they are going to go and kowtow to their opponent just to have the sake of uh, accomplishments. Richard Nixon, you know, got his start as being a red baiter with he- uh, Helen Gehagen Douglas, I think her name was, running into the Senate. And then he's raising a glass to Mao in a speech written by Pat Buchanan in China. So what I see with Hillary Clinton is the same way that Rick Nixon gave us affirmative action, EPA, you know, all sorts of uh, war on drugs, all sorts of civil li- attacks on civil liberties, all sorts of things that the left likes nowadays. Hillary Clinton, in her own way, she's been a neocon. She's been giving the right what they want in that. And I can very easily see her doing the same thing uh, in terms of uh, economics and other issues. Interesting uh, uh, backup for that uh, analogy. There's a guy who uh, writes uh, for the Boston Globe columnist named Michael Cohen. He's got a book out. I forget what it's called, but it's about 1968. It came out this year about the election of 1968 and how it was like a big uh, collective nervous breakdown. A lot yeah. of people have been making the analogy that this election is a lot like 68, just weird shit happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, talked to him uh, at the uh, Democratic convention and I said, so apply your analogy here. Who's who's Nixon? Because a lot of people were, you know, saying, "Oh, Trump is is obviously Nixon, or Trump is obviously Wallace, or whatever." And he's like, "No, Nixon is Hillary Clinton." Oh yeah, very much by far. And the Republicans would be ready, willing, and able to fight her on day one. Uh, she would be coming across that finish line crippled. Usually, presidents have a honeymoon period, right? You know, people are kind of they. Don't, how do I fight this guy? Let, let's get, be nice to him at the very beginning. Day one, they're going to be giving her indictments. She's going to be coming in under a dark cloud, not to be in a Rick Perry sense. Uh, and they're really going to have their claws out for her. And increasingly, very few Democrats are defending her. Most Democrats who like her, are like we got to stop Trump, and this yeah. is our best bet. Furthermore, it's it. It hasn't happened in 70 years that a, one party has had the White House for 16 years. That third term is pretty much all you get. And you saw how George H.W. Bush, who's not a bad guy in, in, in terms of how bad the Republican Party is capable of being at the very least, he could only get 38 percent of the vote uh, four years later. So she would re- – and you can imagine those midterms. Mm-hmm. I mean the Republican Party would clean up, would have stalemate, which as someone who hates government is the ideal scenario for me. Yeah, I, and I think my own perspective on this is it's certainly true that there could be this back. And that we could see a rubber banding effect where this other stuff happens. I'm I'm putting I'm not putting any odds on that. I like I'm not willing to bet large amounts of money that that is the actual outcome that we'll get. Uh, what's 
most important to me is that we don't exaggerate the degree of difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, and the degree to which any conventional mainstream politician from either the Democratic or from the Democrat or Republican Party um, is actually giving us a lot of meaningful difference in terms of policy outcomes. Um, And even with Donald Trump, when we talk about the various things that he's done wrong um, and the the things that are awful about him, um, oftentimes I mean, there's there's certainly the conversation we had the other day about the nukes and the fact that he's going to kill us all straight away as soon as no he gets into office. A, no one said that's a fact. Uh, I, I know you're right. I'm, you're engaging I'm being straw man here. I'm being sarcastic. I am. Well, no. Well, other people are making those arguments. We don't make them uh, because we're we're brighter than them. But in either case, that he is uniquely dangerous. That he is going to produce uniquely dangerous foreign policy. Um, I'm not sure how true that stuff is. Uh, and my perspective is less rah 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 Trump. It's not that. Um, and it's not whoever whoever wins, we all might win when they lose. It is Matt Trump because unless people actually care about these issues in a meaningful and substantive way, the way the rubber banding might work, um, we have pretty significant problems anyways. Like we have to advocate for meaningful, substantive change um, in our polity, in our politics, in our policy. And that's why we should be heartened that uh, Breitbart.com is now running the Wait, Trump let, campaign. Let me make one point here. Go for it. The only president who's ever nuked another country was this you know, Will of Steel, Midwest Democrat, very much in many similarities to Hillary Clinton. That was Harry Truman. And they did target civilian areas. That was number one. So that, you are saying that Hillary Clinton is going to nuke another country. Well, the idea that like she would never do it, it's like, well, that's not let's look at the data. The other thing is in 08, she said on TV that if Israel were attacked, we would wipe Iran off right. the map. So I am not comfortable. I'm not saying Trump's great, but I'm saying is people who are comfortable with her, if you're having someone casually talking about wiping countries off the map, how is that going to play overseas? I mean, we we do have to have a certain... I'm not joking. (laughs) No, no. I I don't laugh because it's it's funny. I laugh because the other guy does that kind of stuff. And and usually the narrative we hear is, well, she's responsible and stately and he is a lunatic. No, yeah, she she did say that. Yeah, and what, it and sounds she, pretty and she similar. She continues to describe Libya as smart power at its best. Yes. Yeah, she's, that's perhaps that's actually delusional. crazy. Well, one of the things that you know North Korea gets right, one of the very few things, is after 9-11 and George Bush came out with his axis of evil with Iran, Iraq, and North Korea, they were like, look, this is a kill list. You're telling us explicitly you're going to take out these three countries. Of course we're going to arm ourselves. And yeah. Yeah. from their perspective, they don't want to be nuked or killed. So you can't blame them for escalating and, and nuking themselves. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a peacenik, but for – us to have all these strength and these these weapons and this army to casually talk about throwing other countries in the trash is a very that's George Bushism at its absolute worst. Well, we, we were talking about the 1960s earlier, and I mean there there are a lot of ways in which this election uh, feels a hell of a lot like the 1960s, particularly because we keep hearing about Russia. It is almost as though the Cold War has begun anew. I can and see it we, in my house. We are, yeah, uh, <laughs> Michael Michael Malice of of Russian descent, uh, of Russian ancestry. I was born there. Uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's not dissent. That's just that's yeah. right there. Oh, you're right. Okay, he, I'm he sorry. He came out of the soil. He, like a he came from potato. Russia. He's a friggin' Russian. I am. He's not a citizen of this country, and he should go back where he came from. Um, but uh, yeah, the the connection between the uh, the Trump campaign uh, and Trump's uh, key personnel, including one uh, Mr. Manafort, uh, have been talked about incessantly. 
uh, on this podcast uh, and have made news again this week. Uh, Mr. Manafort is being diminished by the campaign and has been replaced by some guy. Not replaced. Not replaced, but effectively replaced by some guy from Breitbart. Um <laughs> Who is this guy? This is the best campaign ever. Who is who is this guy? Why should I care? Um, and is Mr. Trump completely in bed with Putin? I mean, we have from the WikiLeaks uh, leak, the email leaks that were said to have originated beca- from uh, clandestine Russian operations to uh, the reports that Ivanka was on holiday with uh, Putin's new boo. Seems like there's at least a little bit of smoke there. Should should I care? Should I be very concerned? Is he the Manchurian candidate? You, as someone who wants to dissolve NATO and uh, throw the Baltics <laughs> to the uh, hungry sharks of the uh, provoked Russian bear, no, you should be cheering this on. The sharks of the bear. <laughs> the bear has sharks. <laughs> Run. <laughs> exactly. Shark, right? shark NATO. Uh, uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I would say that uh, should we care? I, I I'm more interested this week. We've already like uh, as a as a country. I feel like we've digested a lot of the Paul Manafort Russia stories and Ukraine stories, uh, which are uh, bizarre and, and interesting and also kind of banal too. I mean, there's right. the the part of the thing about Trump is that he surrounds himself. He, I mean, people. He doesn't get good talent. Right. Right. So Katrina Pearson. <laughs> I was on with Katrina Pearson yesterday. This is uh, right now as we're speaking on Twitter. If we opened up our uh, little Twitter feeds, everyone's talking about Steve Cohen, who's like the meathead lawyer who goes on and defends Trump. Um, he was uh, uh, he was asked by some CNN anchor like, uh, you know, so you guys are doing pretty badly in the polls. He says, says who? She's like uh, every poll, and uh, and he kind of stares blankly and, and says who. So I was on with Katrina oh Pearson God. yesterday. Um, uh, Does she a, smell nice? She looks like she smells nice. Uh, I I didn't get a chance to to, to nuzzle her um, uh, because we were doing the remote uh, boxes ah, thing. Um, but so otherwise, he I was would on have, with, with uh, Trish saying. Reagan. I would. And like the whole segment was about how the media is just terribly biased against Donald Trump and how awful that is. And and so I was asked, you know, what what, what can we do about that? And right before that, uh, Katrina Pearson was saying, you know, well, you know, the media is so biased. They keep saying that uh, that uh, Trump is behind in the polls when, in fact, if you include the margin of error, he's essentially tied in all of them. And so then they was asked it was oh, to me well, like math. Uh, how does it work? So so what what can what what advice do you have, Matt, for the Trump campaign about combating the media bias? I'm like, don't fucking say that <laughs> it's even in the polls. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ! Like, start so like that's the level of talent. Katrina Pearson is like a a, a D league. I don't even know what the hell. Um, Manafort is is the kind of uh, you know. He's the unwashed version of John Podesta. Okay? Yes. John Podesta is a scumbag. He is a world-class fucking scumbag who has done the bidding of all kinds of foreign yep. governments. He's involved in this kind of stuff, but he but he does it classy style. Manafort's got a Jim Trafficant pompadour. Uh, he deals – I mean they have memos from the uh, – that the LA Times, I guess, or the Daily Mail or some very reputable organization mm-hmm. uh, said well, with his fingerprints all over it. Like, hey, you know what? It's Crimea. Like, fuck it. Let's give that, let's give yeah. that to the yeah. – uh, to the Russians and this kind of stuff. He's just kind of a grosser version of all of that. Yeah. But for me today, the thing that that I, I am shaking my head with with delight and wonder is the Breitbartization. I mean, we this is the election where there is no satire. Uh, like six months ago, I think it was, 
uh, somebody, uh, probably someone we all know, uh, started a, a, tw- a Twitter feed called Trump Bart News. Just I kind of saw that. Oh, oh yeah, it's I saw Crystal in History. That's my favorite one. Yeah, that that one's really great. Uh, but Trump Bart News came out. It's like six. I think right on the time of the Michelle Fields, uh, you know, assault and battery uh, story. <laughs> Have uh, some respect. The woman was almost killed. Jeez, uh, <laughs> it's fucked up. Uh, I see so, some shit, man. So uh, they came out with Trump Bart News as like a, a joke of of how Breitbart is totally in the tank with no that is actually what's happening now i mean it's uh-huh. uh you referenced uh 94 earlier there's a a, a great and unread uh cato book but i repeat myself uh oh. that came out wow sorry david hey, sorry hey, shots fired i'm just trying to like build well i suppose you could and, say and the books are well. I've, I've read i've read fair i've read a fair number uh, of but it's a, it's a great book and i've uh, written many nice things about it over the years called <laughs> the republican no i have uh, i haven't read it but it's a great book <laughs> i have read it it's called the republican revolution 10 years later it came out okay. in, in uh, 2004 and it was uh or five and it, and it, it had a bunch of uh essays from people who were analyzing it and people who took part. And the people who were analyzing, most of them were kind of libertarians, um, uh, even people who had like, been involved in welfare reform and other – like the bigger achievements of it. They were mostly pretty critical like the Republican Revolution you know, accomplished a couple of things in the first 18 months and then became silly and then uh, in many cases reversed itself on the positions that it was initially good at. And the, uh, the one uh, contribution that was unequivocally optimistic and proud was by Newt Gingrich himself. And it's very interesting to see how and why. He said, look, what we did there is we brought in 8 million or whatever the number was, new voters who had never been part of the process. We found a way to talk about politics in a populist way to bring fence-sitting outsiders and getting them all riled up about how much they hated Hillary Clinton and other things. And that is the great and lasting achievement. And I always remind myself of this whenever people still, and I guess they've stopped doing this by now, uh, treat Newt Gingrich as some kind of like wild intellectual, like he's a policy entrepreneur <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Like, no, there are still people doing that. Uh, not really. It's, that's the okay. once he uh, made the, uh, the the final sin. Of, I'll, I'll of defend him, but go ahead, uh, uh, Trump. Uh, but no, I mean that is actually as much to do with the '94 revolution, the lasting impact. It goes hand in hand with the rise of Fox News and talk radio at yes. that time. It created a new conservative. Of populism. Right. So having Breitbart be part of Trump is kind of like full circle on yes. this stuff. There is this, this conservative entertainment kind of thing that's happened. That's why Sean Hannity is out like making his list of never Trumpers and how, you know, once uh, Trump loses, I'm going to go after all of you and call you out. <laughs> And this is this is the Ann Coulter, Sean Hannity yes. kind of wing, and it is totally appropriate. Laura Ingram too, totally appropriate that they're uh, they're mixed with Trump. And I would predict, and it's not a new prediction or anything like that, but after he loses, that you will see them coalesce together and start an actual challenge uh, for a, a Fox News or some kind of new media thing that that sucks all that up together i think yeah, i mean I, I don't think they need to start anything yes. i mean breitbart already has a huge presence online i mean i, I no, don't but know that's not enough that's not enough for trump's fight for them. trump's uh, ego but um, here, here's here's the thing you touched on something that you uh, that i can demonstrate that you where you kind of alluded to talking about trump and and kind of a bias against him uh 
The Clinton impeachment started when they were investigating Chinese money coming into the White House. And we know perfectly well— Red Chinese money. Of course. Yes, thank you. (laughs) We know perfectly well that Hillary Clinton is bought and paid for by the Saudis. Right. And we also know that there what, is, was, what does that mean? Meaning she her the foundation gets a, a hell of a lot of money from Saudi Arabia, the Clinton Foundation. And and she's, as does the foundation of every single uh, ex living president and library. Fine. That, like that. That's true. They're 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 it's like playing roulette. If you're gonna have forty chips, put them on all forty. That, yeah. That's absolutely their case. Uh-huh. This is not unique to her. Yeah. My point is um the idea that like, okay, Trump's getting money from Russia, this is a huge problem. Yeah. Fact. However, let's not ignore – let's just completely ignore this has been going on and has been known for decades. And right. I'm not, not to sound like some kind of crazy 9-11 truther, but we know damn well that those 28 pages redacted from the 9-11 report had something to do with the Saudis. We know the Bush family is in bed with the Saudis. These are not – I mean and when you bring these up in right. any kind of mainstream context, you sound like a tinfoil hat. Bush did 9-11. Bandar Bush was in the White House smoking a cigar with George on September 16th. Is that right? The 15th. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean Bandar Bush was his nickname in the family. Yeah. Prince Bandar, he'd been there. He he walks around with 20 suitcases of intel data that he's had from being in the middle of all of these kind of sensitive U.S. skullduggeries there. And he, he just needs it as like walking around bribe money or, or bribe, uh, you know, uh, right. collateral. Yeah. Right. Let's say that's what they've been doing. Forever. So it's crazy to me and, and kind of like. Uh, like bizarre world where the press is like, you know, apoplectic over Trump and, and Putin, which they should be, but are pretending this is new or unique to right. him. That is, it's mind boggling because these people should know better. What's new is, I think, and it's interesting, and I think it has more to do with an open conflation of interests yes. as much as anything else. And Jesse Walker had a good piece in the Washington Post about this, talking about the conspiratorial nature of it and then, you know, what's real and what's conspiracy on this. And and Hillary's ads on this have been totally conspiratorial, a thousand percent. Just like, why, why, what are they hiding? What yeah. are they doing? It's been they've been great. I mean, they're really fun to watch. Or the emails. Um, we're, yeah, exactly. Uh, but there is a conflation of interest. This is why Putin is is trying to encourage the national fronts and all of their uh, various kind of versions of them in Hungary and other kind of places. They have common interests. They yes. don't like supranational national organizations. They like nationalism. Vladimir Putin is a nationalist. That's yes. the whole point. Um, trying to restore the lost and and you know bitten off glory of the Soviet Union. Um, um, and doing it by trying to undermine uh, openly as well as in a clandestine way uh, international institutions like NATO and the EU and everything else about it. So like that they have stuff in common. Of course, they're going to have these kind of interests. And same thing with Soros and Hillary. We just saw Soros's emails get hacked and there's all sorts of money like, you know, having this refugee crisis be, quote unquote, the new normal. So I, I think people who are fans of democracy, which I most certainly am not, are deluding if they're not aware that how much of this backroom money is going on right. and how much Hillary Clinton will always have more in common with Donald Trump and with George Bush than she will with a janitor or someone who works a farm. That's just how elitism works. And that is how the elites work across the world. And to pretend otherwise to me is just silly. As uh, Ben Dreyfus, who's a very funny uh, uh, tweeterer for and social media guy for Mother Jones, pointed out when talking about the Ivanka Trump hanging out with Wendy, what's her face? But didn't she introduce him to Jared? That's what I read. Uh, could be, yeah. yeah. To her husband, uh, Jared Kushner. Uh, his his tweet was like, I just want to believe, maybe it wasn't him, but I think it was, I just want to believe that all the uh, rich and powerful people and their spawn are just busy fucking each other. They the are, time. though. That's why Richard, oh, isn't, oh. isn't Murdoch engaged to Jerry Hall? Yes. No, they got married, uh, I think. Yeah. I think they tied I mean, that's exa- that, that, that's, that he, makes he sense. He would finally say, I do. And Mick was And Rosie O'Donnell went to Trump's wedding. I mean, it's it's just they're all in bed with each in, other, in, literally in better, and figuratively. In, in better times, in better times, perhaps. What's the most famous wedding that you've gone to, Michael Malice? 
Oh, uh, famous I, person's wedding. I don't think I've ever been to a famous person's wedding. I was at. Oh, uh, uh, here we go. <laughs> Look no, at that no, bait no, and switch. Oh, you have it. Yeah. Well, let me explain. Yeah, no, this, this isn't this isn't a famous up. person's wedding at okay. all. It's I went to brother's wedding oh, because yeah. they, it was a green card uh, marriage. Ooh, oops, did I just out him out? Shit. That's it. Enough. Well, Statue of limitations. I will, I'll put it. Boop. It, it'll be in there. Yeah, it's all right. Because uh, they're still married and they're happy. No, they're not. Uh, <laughs> she's happy. It was in Vegas, obviously, and so. Uh, <laughs> Did show up, and he's—I think—shorter than you are, Michael. I'm going to have to beep out every mention of. <laughs> that is the way that I will obscure who we are talking about. Oh, so please do, and, and just beep out all his songs too. That man do. is terrible. That is, I can't. And do it. everyone <laughs> musically should be shot. You're making it harder for me because now I'm going to have to beep out <laughs> as well. Please um, wipe him off the map. Um, Isn't Kanye. Oh, there's are another. Gonna, are you going to rein no, this one back no, in? No, Kanye is not from. Yeah, I am going to rein it back in. I'm going to I'm going to actually call a call a friggin audible here. There you go. Um, so we, we are talking about sort of the deficiencies of like the media coverage. And, and I agree with you, Malice, like the the sort of tinfoil hat cons- seeming like a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist for pointing out the similarities between the candidates, the the oftentimes um, sort of banal nature of the various controversies that seem to get stirred up, not in the sense that they're not important, but that this isn't new. Like we have actually seen this before. Um, but in some cases, uh, we actually stir up stories that are totally and completely unimportant. Uh, and with respect to Trump, we've actually seen a hell of a lot of that this cycle um, with stories that are, if not, I don't know if manufactured is quite the word, uh, but there is outrage about just about everything. It's manufactured. Um, so, so Mr. Trump shows up in Wisconsin and he is giving a speech there. And he's given a couple of speeches this week. It seems to all be part and parcel of the new, the new Donald Trump. He's given an economic speech, it's a not, policy speech. I think, I think the new speech. Donald Trump is going to go away from the it's, longer policy speeches, right? right. The, the, the Breitbart guys are promising more rallies, more nationalism, more punching uh, uh, Clinton in the face. Um, well, the, the last Wisconsin 10 days, speech did that. But more sound bites, Matt means, and I agree with him. Yeah, uh, the Wisconsin. He was teleprompting pretty heavily, and he was he was talking uh, some amount of policy as he had previously in the econ speech and the foreign policy speech. Okay, but I'll stop interrupting you now. No, no, it's fine. That's you interrupt me to uh, to exchange uh, error for truth. Let's do that. In in which I mean, you're giving me the truth, and I had the error, so I'm apologize. Um, but in any case, we had these three speeches. Um, he did give one in Wisconsin last night, and I was reading the New York Times coverage. Uh, for example, and the headline was like Trump gives speech to whites, uh, supports cops was essentially the headline. And then in the first couple of lines, it's the speech. There were some black folks in the audience, perhaps even more black folks than live in that particular area demographically. So he brought some folks in, perhaps. Um, and most of the speech was him beating up on Hillary Clinton, saying that she and her ilk have created this climate of hatred and animosity towards the police, that black people were being taken advantage of by Democrats um, and essentially laying, bl- laying blame for the explosion um, of of outrage uh, in Wisconsin and the heightened racial tensions in this country um, at their feet. And it just seems odd to me, like the, the casting of the story in that particular way. Like so you're Republicans, say, you're re- saying that you agree with Donald Trump here? What, which part did I? No, I didn't make a case for that at all. No. I heard it. No, we can we could talk <laughs> no, about I felt it. We, we can talk it. about we could talk about that in a little bit. Not I, I actually <laughs> I mean, culpability is uh, culpability is an important, interesting question um, just in the abstract. So we can get into that. Um, but it's it's not the other only story. I mean, we had that weird crying baby story where Trump essentially makes a joke about taking a baby out of the room. And it is 
in places where I saw it reported, it was frequently as, look how ill-tempered he is. He threw a baby out. What about him, air quotes, calling for Hillary Clinton's assassination? Assassination, yeah. The, the Second Amendment folks will take care of that. It, it seemed like it was clearly a joke. Obviously, his handling of the situation afterwards is strange. But here's where I'm, here's where I'm torn about this. I get that they are blowing these stories out of proportion uh, in some cases, that they are covering it in really strange and bizarre ways. It's not that I feel like I'm going to be, uh, be told I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. It's I don't want to sound like I'm defending the guy. Like if I if I look at what he actually says and if he says Mexico isn't sending us their best, they're sending rapists. He didn't say that all Mexicans are racist or that Mexicans are racist, a rapist. He, he said, should I parse it at all? Does it matter? If that's not exactly what he said, it's still the, a gross sentiment. Mexico's, but does it matter? I mean, and does it matter that the media uh, that, don't, don't bit, focus that's on that? That's a bit of a hair. Don't thing. focus on that. I'm not. I'm not splitting hairs on that. I'm just saying it, it is weird to me the way that the coverage works. Why um, is that weird to you? you? This is their mo. Like the the media is not there to inform people. The purpose of the media, by and large, is to use smears, heresy, and innuendo to make sure that the herd falls in line. And they're not interested in having this kind of exchange of ideas because they come to their ideas through evangelical progressivism. When you, when you say it that way, that they are using this to make certain the herd falls in line, it does sound a little infowarsy. Okay, that's fine. No, it it sounds like a deliberate I don't think InfoWars would ever use the word herd because they're (laughs) they're talking to the herd. Um, It it is a deliberate plot. It is very much the case that most reporters view themselves as having an evangelical mission to promote the right idea that people who are progressives do not view themselves as having ideology so much as they view themselves as having the truth. And it's just – I've always said this. Progressivism is just Christianity without the mythology. So once you've been anointed into the mysteries, and you've achieved gnosis and know the truth about reality, anything outside of that is heretical and dangerous and must be destroyed. So you don't owe these people who are on the other side of the fence the benefit of the doubt. You have to do what you can to make them personally and their ideas as a whole illegitimate and something that can't contaminate your pure whole world. I would, uh, besides uh, uh, disagreeing with the uh, degree um, in which you make that case, uh, it's a continuum. To be fair, would okay. like would like to um, so that the, it's the evangelical part that I disagree with. Evangelical suggests a a, a knowingness uh, or a self consciousness about right. it. I think the thing that you hit on that is especially true, and I say this as someone who's worked in newsrooms my whole life, is the sense of the non ideologicalness right. of it. Um, right. Like people are are you know, a reporter would be horrified to hear your description because of course they they are just looking for truth right, right. and they're out there. I mean they're they're fact checking. This right. is why um, you know. But you know binders full of women that is funny. So let's sure. talk about that for weeks. You know <laughs> um, right. So it's more it's more that uh, you know the sense of like you know the no labels was one of the biggest ideological gambits out there in modern politics because it wanted to to uh, dilute itself that it wasn't involved. We're just trying to fix problems, and there's nothing ideological about that. Right. That is the great ideology that uh, that doesn't speak its name. And so I don't think that reporters wake up in the morning thinking, okay, how do we keep the herd in line? But the behavior that results from the way that they go at it ends up serving that cause. But it's evangelical, I mean, in this sense, that they can't abhor the idea that there could be any place on earth that's not going to be influenced and controlled by their worldview. 
uh, this is why you have like the UN Commission on Human Rights, and this is why you know progressivism has to be the norm in every country ever. Uh, and it's really uh, kind of this, you know, it's a religion in this sense. Like you can't have any any country where it doesn't have this as the basis of interaction between human beings. You're making me sad now. Why? I mean, once you realize what it is, it's a lot easier to understand, interact with people. Uh, once you realize that, because ideas that aren't derived by reason aren't going to be, are, are, no, no pun intended, aren't going to be, you know, changed by reason. So once you realize people come at it from the same religious perspective, it's a lot easier to engage with them and to communicate with them, as opposed to thinking that, you know, they came, you know, kind of these amorphous blobs of the blank slate, and then they read the New York Times, and now they became urban urban liberals, I mean, it's not a coincidence that ideologies are geographically localized. I mean, you get your ideas from your surroundings, not so much as with few exceptions, sitting down and, you know, critically analyzing the data. Right. I, I would say, I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the coverage, a lot of the oversimplification, um, the latching on the to, mis-simplification. to a particular it, in some yes, missimplification is fine. Oversimplification is a, is another thing. That is an actual word. It's not yeah, just yeah. completely re- redundant because sometimes you simplify yes, things in, in useful ways. Um, that that is a consequence of simply not being at all imaginative, not not being able to comprehend the possibility that someone else could disagree with you, right. but for nefarious purposes. It's, a lack uh, of empathy reminds me in a literal of, sense. Uh, of a story that I heard um, our friend Thad uh, apparently name-checked me on a podcast because we name-check him all the friggin' time. And he told a story about a, about a dinner that I had at his house. His young son, Toby, was cooking. I, did I tell you guys about this already? Uh, you I don't know. Anyway, his young son, Toby, is like a chef. Is genius kid, like amazing, makes a great, fantastic three-course meal. Um, I'm having a conversation with someone at his house at one of the tables because there are a bunch of people there. And in the course of the conversation, he asks, uh, who are you going to be voting for? Um, or he's talking about who he's going to be voting for. And they're, they're both agreeing vociferously about how awful Donald Trump is. And I say casually that I would never vote for either of the two of those people. Um, and this is not the very first thing I've said to him. There's been some, there'd been a bit of progression, uh, but at this point he just sort of loses his shit. And the guy like gets up from his tape, from his seat. How, how old not, are we talking about? Um, I mean, maybe he's in his early fifties, uh, but he gets up from his seat. He raises his chair, like sort of off the ground and kind of slams it back down and sits in it. And he thrusts a finger in my face. Wow. And he says, you, something to the effect he, he of, wagged his finger at you. Yeah, you people. Oh, you boy. people. Um, boy, no, it wasn't. It wasn't racial, but it is interesting. It, you people don't understand the plight of minorities and immigrants. Boom. I am Scots Jamaican, first generation American. I am frequently told that I am a black guy. <laughs> I'm not certain if this is true, but I'm frequently told that this is the case. It's possible that I don't understand that at all. Um, I think that is highly unlikely. Uh, I I was talking to his wife and earlier in the conversation, she had made it very clear that she has a perspective on weirdo people who share my perspective, libertarians. Um, And her perspective is that libertarians are soulless, that they are selfish. And I said, that's odd. I mean, you and I have been breaking bread together here for I don't know, 45 minutes. We've been having a polite conversation up until now. I didn't take anything off of your plate. Perhaps all of the rest of the libertarians you've ever met are horrible, selfish people. A lot I'll of tell them. you that I'm, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm nice. I'm polite. 
And I think we want mostly the same thing to make people's lives better and to try and create, uh, try and have there be less poverty and improve schools. We just want to get there. And we, we, I suspect we believe that getting there takes some different things. Well, here, here, here. Um, okay. But I, she, I don't want to she cut just you couldn't, off. no, no. I mean, I, I'm, we can cut off there. I'm, I'm well, here, we're running all over the place. Here's there. my point. Yeah. One of the big schisms, I don't know, I never know if it's pronounced schisms or schisms. Uh, I go schiz. Schisms. Yeah. One of the big schisms. and tired of the ism schism. So, what? That's, well, that's Bob Marley. Oh, I, who's that? That's a joke. Uh, yeah, it is a joke. Uh, a, he's joking. Everybody. I am joking. No worries. Um, one of the big schisms in the early church was when you take the water, the the wafer and the wine, and you have transubstantiation. Does it literally become Christ's bones and blood, or is it just a symbol? Right? And the Catholics say it literally becomes bones and blood, and Protestants usually say it's it's figurative. For for many progressives, you and Clarence Thomas. And you know J.C. Watts, uh, J.D. Watts. When you whatever. say you, are you talking you, Camille, about Camille? Okay, are literally not black. And Bill Clinton—that well, that is true. I've I've been saying that for years, and I don't understand why people. Uh, uh, and and Bill Clinton and people like Bill Clinton literally are that once you adopt. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is I'm being quite sure. serious. This is how they see the world. Yeah. Once you adopt the right ideology, you are literally a black person or you have literally renounced your race. It is a mystical concept and they apply it consistently across the board. Uh, just like women who are anti-feminist are not really women. Yeah. There's all these jokes about Ann Coulter being a, a you know, transgender or a drag queen because they can't reconcile how someone who's biologically it's, female has these views. It's also the Adam's apple. She's Tay. Wow. No, wow. No. Wow. I mean, she's got an Adam's apple. Wow. Is that Check it out. Can it be an Eve's apple? <laughs> Check it out. I mean, I'm, 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 but, I'm friendly with Anne, but the, the, yeah. Not anymore, not anymore you ain't. I don't know, man. Not anymore you I, ain't. You have to prove that the two of you are friendly. Um, the point is, we'll get her on the podcast. People need to, un- that's quite, I'm being quite literal. This is how they see the world. It's yeah. this mystical transubstantiation argument. I think that there is a, that's a good segue opportunity because, mm-hmm. um, Part of what came out as uh, kind of in the wash with the, what was happening in Wisconsin, yes, this uh, is that now Black Lives Matter, which you and Moynihan have been a lot more critical about than I have, um, with, good, with good reason. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you, you think so. Oh, uh, that's a that's a good line for me. It's uh, <laughs> a malice line. That's what you make me a worse person. <laughs> I, I've killed the angel on your right shoulder. It's it, just me. it's terrible. Um, <laughs> that's the best compliment I've ever heard. No, but like the, uh, some wing of Black Lives Matter, or maybe some you know, uh, to the extent that which there's a central yeah. organization there coming out against school choice. Yeah, along with the NW. ACP and NAACP this week. I mean, talking about losing the plot and also yeah. you have to graft on to this entire basket of completely right. unrelated ideas or, I mean, if they're related, they're related in the absolute wrong way. Right. Um, yeah. And so, Camille, why don't you uh, talk some yeah, more shit and, about and, your and I, uh, favorite I mean, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Um, there is an article that I saw and there were a number of, uh, of thought pieces um, wrote about this. Andre Perry, who is a Ph.D. and who taught in a school in New Orleans after the flood in New Orleans has been um, new. Is it New Orleans or New Orleans? Whatever you want to do. Whatever I want to do. Um, it's New Orleans. He was he was teaching in New Orleans um, after the flood, and and as we know, that is supposed to be the quintessential example of how charter schools like work and they're effective, and we see improving numbers. The fact of the matter is that New Orleans has almost certainly juked the stats there, um, and the situation was so bad before that the degree to which things have improved is a little hard to tease out. In either case, I think there's a hell of a lot of evidence that charter schools like work, that they do a great job for kids who don't have 
other alternatives. My wife uh, taught at a public charter high school in Southeast D.C. across the street from Berry Farms, where her dad is actually from. Uh, Berry Farms is a fairly notorious uh, public housing uh, project in Southeast D.C. Um, kids who live in that area like go to a crappy school unless they're fortunate enough to go to a charter. Right. And what the Black Lives Matter movement and then the NAACP are effectively saying, the argument that they're making, and this, this guy Andre uh, Perry makes it um, as well, um, is that we should, we should fail together or succeed together. Right. But taking away, one, taking away black jobs, i.e. teachers union positions in New Orleans, um, by closing down these public schools and making them charters is bad. Um, and you have to decide... But if what you value is higher test scores or black lives. Now, if that sounds like an asinine, obscene thing to even suggest that these two things are in contention with one another, I challenge you to go read the article that this goober wrote. Um, Charter schools can be part of the solution. But first, education reformers need to take a hard look at how they operate in black communities and decide if they really believe black lives matter more than test score gains. I don't know that these two things are mutually exclusive. I'm pretty sure they're not. But the operating premise, uh, the NAACP and amongst the Black Lives Matter kids, and there's there's something else I think about the Black Lives Matter kids that we can talk about a little more, is apparently that these schools were failing for lack of concern for black folk. And that is the reason why these schools were failing. All we need is more money and apparently more black control over these schools and they'll do they'll be just fine. Uh, but what we definitely don't need is innovators coming in with charter schools, bringing in really, really highly qualified people to teach in these schools and these schools essentially going out of business if they don't work anymore. Now, that is how it ought to work. Granted, implementation is going to be different all over. There are not just charter schools operating in isolation, in a vacuum. These charter schools have charter school boards. The charter schools themselves are going to be limited and perhaps advantaged by the quality of those charter school boards in the various municipalities in which they operate. Um, But where it works, it works really damn well. And the parents who get the privilege of sending their kids to charter schools, and it is that because it's a limited commodity. There's scarcity there. Um, but those parents don't want their kids to leave. They want them no, to stay there. they're weeping with joy. Um, I mean, yes, one ecstatic. of the first things that uh, President Obama did to his great discredit uh, in his term was mm-hmm. to was to choke off the amount of experimentation that was allowed in D.C. charter schools. Right. Um, because and, the, the feds play a, a role in the in the D.C. Uh, right. And then DC. also the 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 uh, charter school supporting. Uh, mayor got bounced out, and that mm-hmm. was the main issue. Michelle Rhee was kicked out, so a lot of different things happened at once. But um, you know, we did a, a, quite a few documentaries about this, and I was—I mean, it's one of the reasons I left DC is that I didn't—I I, I like living in cities, and I and I want to use public education and do. And there's just no good schools in, in downtown DC. There, there's there was supposed to be uh, some were starting to improve under Michelle Rhee. Um, but when they uh, choked off the experience, experiment, it was bad. But it was precisely those parents from poorer neighborhoods who were, you know, it was a godsend to them to have uh, to have the same right to choose a neighborhood that I do by dint of making money. You know, like I chose an expensive freaking neighborhood in New York, and God knows I just moved apartments and spent a lot of money on a real estate agent <laughs> trying to keep it together here. Uh, but uh, because yeah, I I want to send my daughter daughters to a nice school. Um, why do I only get that choice? Yeah. That to me is just obscene. Yeah. Right. Like if I, if I was, 
locked into a poor neighborhood because I couldn't afford to move out, then you have to deny that choice uh, is uh, is disgusting. Right. And and to go ahead, have either of you read Jonathan Haidt's book? Because he addresses this point, uh, the righteous, righteous mind. mind. Yeah. Because he, so there's a one point in the book he go, he asks uh, like a liberal and a conservative uh, a question. He goes, "Which would you prefer? A house where there's three people, a street where there's three people, and two of the houses are worth a million, and one's worth seven hundred fifty thousand, or a house where each house, a street where each house is six hundred thousand? So they're all equally poor, poorer uh, off in the second scenario. And many people chose the second scenario, which to people like us is mind boggling. But this is how many people actually and intuitively and morally think. And Thatcher in her last speech in the House of Parliament had this whole thing about you'd rather poor be poor just as long as the rich aren't as rich. So what this the guy who wrote this article, that's his exact point. Like you can't have anyone escape egalitarianism is more important than having a few people get away. And you're not going to change that base presumption. And it's a very, very scary scenario. I think that that's that's almost that is definitely part of it. Right. But there is another part as well. It's the rest of the theory, which is that it's not working today because, well, racism. He appointed as his secretary of education, Arnie Duncan, who was actually in the context of the public school system, a reformer. Yeah. Uh, Race to the top wasn't all that, but it still was an incentive to begin schools of choice and a bunch of other things. Um, So he had some interest in this rhetorically at at the at least at the beginning, even though he ended up just uh, drowning the public education system with a bunch of stimulus money. Hillary Clinton will say, um, you know, I'm sick and tired of people running down our public schools uh, as a, an excuse to starve them of money. Yeah. That's what she says. Yeah. I'm sick and da- tired of people not supporting teachers enough. Uh, she lives in the fantasy world uh, denying that we've increased spending per student per capita adjusted for inflation by three times since I mean, But is, is there any doubt that Randy Weingarten is in her coven? I mean, yeah. they're the same phenomenon, just, you know, in different pantsuits. I like that. Pantsuits are, can be awesome, though. Sure. Like on Star Trek, on Star Trek, they were pretty Star good. Star Trek nerd. I don't really dig her pantsuits. I'm just so. trying to think whether Coven is racist somehow. It's not. How could it be racist? No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. not even he's, gendered. You but he wants to coven. know if it's okay to laugh is what he's saying. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to know. Sometimes it's hard to know. I'm glad that I don't have to fear for fear for myself in that in that respect. Was I, that was that somebody that wrote this or do you have another one? Uh, no, I mean, there's yeah. there's actually another one. Um but the, the weakened racial outrage was not merely uh, BLM and NAACP deciding that they absolutely hate charter schools. Um, it was also Ellen uh, DeGeneres riding on the back of Usain Bolt to, to do her shopping around town, who had to defend herself on Twitter. Now, uh, just, just to, to, to sideline you, when Usain Bolt does his thing, do, uh-huh. you, do you let yourself go a little Jamaican at that, in those moments? Do, am I filled with nationalist pride? Yeah. Do you like uh, listen? Yeah. Sports is the only place where I tolerate tribalism in my personal life, and it is the only thing that can make me get sort of uber patriotic and root yes for mouse. my team against is yours. That, are we getting to that's a it. yes? That's it. <laughs> I heard sports it. is the only place I where I do that. But did you yes. do that with only the, for a little? Bit. You're an American of only Jamaican descent. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I'll root for Usain. All right. I bought some uh, some Jamaican soccer jerseys in the Barack past. Usain Obama. Usain Usain Bolt. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Um, but, yeah, there's been plenty of uh, bizarre racial upset. Um, we are we are approaching um, the end of our time. But, Matt, we talked briefly about this uh, revenge porn uh, opinion piece. Uh, well, no, Peter Thiel wrote a piece for The New York Times on the opinion page about essentially the Gawker event 
that took place. Essentially, Peter pretty much helped take down Gawker by backing uh, Hulk Hogan's uh, legal action against Gawker. Gawker uh, notoriously published a sex tape of Hulk Hogan. Um, and uh, he asked them to take it down. They didn't take it down. Um, he then sued. The, the court told him to take it down. They still didn't take it down. So it wasn't just Hulk Hogan talking. Yeah, and and Peter Peter Thiel backs this legal case, takes it to court, um, and essentially like bankrupts some folks. Thanks. Gawker changes hands. I believe today Univision picked up Gawker um, out of bankruptcy, so it will continue. Although apparently will be all in Spanish language. That is not true. No, they're just going to put question marks uh, at the front of every sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Upside down. Um, but, but we were talking about this earlier and, and the connection. I mean, in the article itself, I mean, Peter's, Peter's argument here is not, you know, this was a, a petty grievance because Gawker outed me and I didn't like that. It was that, look, these people have a lot of power. Um, they shouldn't be able to just publish. You ought not have the freedom to just publish anything you like. Um, if it's for sort of an arbitrary reason um, and you are damaging other people's uh, personal well-being. And he alluded to uh, a piece of legislation that is in Congress, I believe, uh, and that is being considered, it's, which yeah, is supposed to be porn preventing people from uh, posting revenge porn, which is essentially you meet Michael Malice on um, on uh, you better say ten, uh, Tinder. That's such an not, easy joke. Not Come Grindr, on. You could have said Tinder. I, I honestly don't Michael know Malice, the any of them. Michael Grindr's Malice. for gays. <laughs> okay. not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, Malice hooks up with you on, on Tinder. He tapes your interaction. You guys break up. He posts it to the internet because he's angry at you. That or is proud of his, uh, his own performance. Or yeah. proud of his own performance. Can it be both? And that's the real issue here, isn't it, Matt? That he might be posting that using his free speech because he's really proud of his own performance. Not because of you. Not because of you. And the fact that you were in that video with Malice, Matt, is not an indictment of your heterosexuality. And it's not, it's not hatred. Should it be illegal, though? I mean, does does Peter have it's a not point? Not about illegal um, necessarily. This is, I mean, it's it's Peter Thiel is using a tort system to try to 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 inflict his revenge against a Gawker going too far. Uh, my problem with, it, I mean, part of it is that yeah, he's got the legal right to do that. We have a legal right to bankroll other people's lawsuits, even secretly, uh, to try to do this. Hulk Hogan would not have taken this all the way to court's big pain in the ass and there's a lot of discovery that comes with it but yeah. he knew that there was unlimited bankroll for this my problem with teal um uh beside the fact that he's a dick um just like in general which i i, I on one level appreciate on the other um uh it's irritating like his book uh, a couple of years ago that competition is bad um like he takes the the uh interesting um, contrarian argument that in business what you should search, search for is monopolies and then uh-huh. juice them for all they all that you can and then that's how you get rich which is actually a very sure. interesting argument but then he takes that to that means competition itself is a bad thing we shouldn't want there to be competition I've seen him uh, debate John Mackey and get his ass handed to him uh, trying to make this case like he's got to go the next contrarian step he always right. does hmm. that's what he does and this uh, I see this exercise as part of that and yeah. he tells a good story in the in the New York Times op-ed that he's doing it for principle and this is how you uh, you create kind of boundaries or you start to establish them there's a push and pull and all this kind of stuff problem with it He's bankrupting guys who did perfectly good and legitimate journalism that just happened to get challenged by someone who didn't like it, including I believe Sam Biddle, Biddle is the name of the of the Gawker journalist who um, wrote an 
as far as I know, totally true story about some charlatan who's claimed that he invented email when he in fact did not. Is Peter involved in that case? I don't think he is. I think he is. Okay. The claim is that he is. Okay. He doesn't talk about that. He talks about the other ones that are an easier sell. But the claim is that he's bankrolling that suit as well. Hmm. And so these are collateral damage here in his like, oh, you know, total jihad against Gawker. Uh, I'm friends with Nick Denton for 20 years. And so I'm biased in this story. Um, And uh, and, you know, and Peter Thiel is in broader libertarian world, although he doesn't really play uh, with reason out there. so you're, so you're bitter and your perspective is forged from from your bitterness. But, um, but go ahead. I kid. I the, kid. The thing, the thing that troubles me about this, and this is something that we've been on the receiving end of, a motivated rich person can make um, yep. people's lives hell forever in court and, and journalists' lives and publications' lives right. forever. If Peter Thiel decided tomorrow, and I'm not suggesting this to him, but if he decided that – he doesn't like the way that I, I called him a dick and wants to sue me for the rest of my life and make me bankrupt. He would succeed. Think about that for a second. If right. he just decided he didn't like me, he could, through our court system and our tort system, the way that it's set up right now, just decide to ruin my life and he would succeed. And can I make one point here, Please. which I think you're not aware of? I think Peter Thiel is part of the broader alt-right movement. Uh, and there's the the red bubble, which is uh, – I've seen this Venn diagram of the alt-right, which is the yellow bubble being the religious people, the right bubble being the white nationalist, white supremacist, and the blue bubble being the technologist people. The technology is going to save us. And in my, I don't know, Peter. I don't you know. I, this is just my speculation. I'm not getting this kind of inside information. But I suspect that he shares the alt-right worldview that Gawker is part of this governing superstructure of media, which they refer to as the cathedral, and that it's a good thing that these people are destroyed because they're not going to play nice with you in any circumstances, and they don't deserve a fair hearing. That's what I would guess was his motivation. Well, I, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, can't, I can't speculate about that. Um, I could, but I won't. Um, but I did, Malice, want to see – I mean do you have a perspective on the legislation protecting people from having you post uh, videos I, I of your think, sexual flings with I them after you broke really, it I think it's really, really, really dangerous to give people an opportunity to sue. It's one thing – I think privacy laws were covered already. If you are being sued – if you're being recorded surreptitiously, in my understanding, that's already actionable. And especially if you're being su- – uh, Depends on the state. Depends, yeah. uh, well, yeah. that should be actionable. If you're being filmed nakedly, uh, you, if you're being filmed nude surreptitiously, that should absolutely be illegal. However, if you have consented to being filmed and something gets done with that, just like – And you're a public figure and the act was considered to be part of your public figureness. That's when that's what was the well, Gawker I, I counterclaim. Right. But I don't think – well, I, I think Hogan didn't know he was being filmed. Yeah. That's the whole point. Uh, yeah, I don't think he, he did. didn't know. Yeah. Because he was screwing his best friend's wife. He didn't know. Yeah. That's the point. I think, I think that's contested. But, but okay. let's, let's, but let's it keep Just going. in a broader sense. Yeah. If you, if you and your girlfriend make a sex tape and that's sex, like Pam Anderson, whatever, and that sex tape gets released, that's not revenge porn. And to have it be revenge porn means you have to be psychic and ascribe motivations to this other person. And that's thought crime. And it's a very, very da- – Matt, you, you know a lot about Eastern Europe. That is a very, very dangerous road that I'm opposed to in all circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, there's, there, there are certainly speech issues there um, that are worth being – concerned about. It is not cut and dry. There is no obvious way uh, for us to sort that business out. And, and given our culture, it's always going to be the presumption in favor of the female and against the male. And this is really kind of a, a, a bad uh, uh, thing. And, and I think the way to solve it is through ostracism. There's a prominent libertarian that we're all familiar with, and he did something like this, and everyone else kind of shut their doors to him and called him an ass. And, and that's the way to do it.
Who? Yeah, I don't know who we're talking I'm about. Not, we're, I don't we're want to about, who? If you say it, I'll just beep it out of the podcast. That's what we're doing today anyways. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't say it. Gary Johnson. Don't say it. <laughs> Field the Johnson. It's 2016. That's what he said. As well. Um, so, uh, yeah. So we, we arrived at some idiot wrote this. I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't know if I should do this one. This, this was actually sent to us uh, by Anthony Fisher um, earlier in the week. Uh, Anthony Fisher, who has been on this program, is a dear friend. Um, it is a screed from Jacobin Magazine. Oh, God. Um, and, and here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I am not talking about the substance of the article. It is the style. It is the style that is so repulsive and awful. Now, apparently this, this damn thing has made the rounds. It is uh, a, a tour de force of masturbatory um, glossary surf, um, not glossary surfing, thesaurus surfing, uh, where they just pull together like every sort of flowery word they can find uh, and, and try, to, uh, try to make something beautiful. Um, what they actually arrive at is just terrible word salad. Um, the, the title of this article is the last convention. Uh, it is, uh, it is, uh, I don't know, a diatribe on, uh, on the Donald Trump convention. I, I almost want to read you an excerpt of it, but I, I won't. Give us a sentence. No, no. Come I, on, love. Give us I, a sentence. I, give us some know. adjectives. I don't know. I want to some of these flowery no, words. No, no. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it's it. like mad lives. I'm not going to do it. We're, we're way over anyways. I want Matt to be able to do his parting shots. Uh, go read it. Um, when I read it, I discovered that I had spontaneously uh, a droplet of mansplooge like end up on my my cheek. I mean, that is how masturbatory it is. It's very strange. Wasn't mine. That sounds like a big endorsement. It frankly. was weird and strange. <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for some people, not me. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with people who enjoy that sort of thing. But for me, that was weird. It was strange. I didn't like it. Orgasms are strange um, for you. Well, n- someone else's. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Someone else's. This is not this is not masturbatory for me. It was for them, uh, so it was I awful. Think, I think the uh, the go, lesson go here is don't go over sixty minutes because then Camille just starts going to some dark places. Yeah, this is true, dude. I mean, I've got some things for you in a little bit. <laughs> oh um, God, put Matt, it away. Oh, put your Matt. pants back on, Camille. Put the pants back on. I can't help it, Matt. What? Um, talk to me about the. Uh, you're watching the Olympics, which are ending this weekend. I, yeah. I don't know why you're watching them, but I'm watching you didn't want to talk about the sports. You wanted to talk to me about the ads. I do want to talk about sports uh, because I've given up on uh, baseball. I'm actually really super interested in this Olympics in ways that I haven't. I was like, beach volleyball. I love beach volleyball. Yeah, I know what Let's you love more. about beach volleyball. The men, the tall guy's is- name, like Dahlhauser. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I saw two ads back to back almost, uh, which were totally hilarious. One was, come to New York. We'll partner with your business. We're going to get rich together. We've lowered taxes. It's great. It was sponsored by Startup New York in the state of New York. Like, what the living shit is this, right? Uh, so New York has made made the world better for your business, and we're all going to get rich together. Uh, come to the state of New York. And a couple uh, uh, ads later was a Hillary Clinton ad about how we're going to make the economy work for everyone, and it starts with a sinister close-up of New York, <laughs> of Wall Street. We're going to make them pay their fair share of taxes. And, and like there's a pyramid and there's like dollar signs and we're the 1% here and we're going to do all this. Uh, and only through uh, – and, and companies that want to move overseas, we're going to pay – tax the, the give them an them. exit tax. And with that money, we are going to create the biggest infrastructure pro- jobs project since World War II. And it's so perfect. These two – 
back to back. One is a uh, Andrew Cuomo specialty. And we've talked about I have talked about Andrew Cuomo in an unhinged fashion on the show previously. So I'm going to try to keep it together here. But he spent more than 200 fucking million dollars on advertisements of taxpayer dollars on advertisement, including more than 50 million for this thing. Startup. New York, which is just uh, we're going to waive your taxes for 10 years if you move from if you move your company. But that's OK if you're moving it into New York. We're going to waive your taxes for 10 years. Yeah, I didn't get to take advantage. How of many jobs has this thing created in five years, according to an audit? Guess. Just put a number on it. I'm scared. Startup New York. Two? They've spent $50 million. They've foregone about $100 million in, in expected tax revenue. Four hundred and no eight. Four hundred and eight was. They're really high paying jobs. Yeah, they're they're, they're people who make fucking advertisements on television. It's BBDO. (laughs) Got some got some good work out of this. So it's just it's 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 perfect encapsulation of democratic economics. You know, we're going to lower your taxes. We're going to raise your taxes at the same time. We only we the benevolent we can create infrastructure jobs and and we will partner together. And it's all absolutely non. Sense. And this is where the Democratic Party is, the, the heart beating soul of it, in addition to income inequality uh, nonsense, is that government creates business and business creates jobs and it's all self-contradictory and it's awful. Yeah. The end. Thank you. Thank you for that, Matt. You're I mean, that was a hell of a parting shot. Uh, Malice, I want to give you give you an opportunity to just do, do you have a parting shot for us? Brief. Stay in school and stay off the pipe, kids. That's it. That's it. Stay off the pipe. Uh, You know what? Here's what. I'm going to steal a line that you said once when I was on the independence. Everything is getting better all the time. So when people look at politics and they're despairing, take a deep breath. We've survived worse. Things are great. Uh, violence is down worldwide. Disease down. Life expectancy up. Infant mortality is down. Relax. You have it pretty good in this country. and There's a lot of ruin left in our nation. Amen. I love that. Adam's, Adam Smith there at the end. Um, it, speaking of that, getting better all the time uh, on our way out here, uh, Freethink Media, I mentioned that crazy weird thing all the time. Uh, it is a creative agency turned media brand. Uh, this week, actually, we launched a new website uh, and have released the first episode of a new series that we are producing. It is one of nine or maybe eight series that we'll be releasing over the course of the next 12 months or so. Uh, the first series is called Superhuman, and it is all about the remarkable medical innovations that are taking place all over the planet um, where we are blending science fiction with reality, which is kind of cool and awesome. It is people with robot arms um, that they can control with their minds, which is completely mind-blowing. And the first story is about this remarkable woman who had zero scientific training, had a daughter who was born with uh, a, a genetic disorder that was a death sentence. And this lady founds a genetics company and develops a revolutionary oh new treatment God. to extend her daughter's life and eventually, perhaps, like cure this thing. Wow. Um, She's it a is day remarkable. Martin it's crazy. I don't know who that is. You should. Matt but does. <laughs> but you, you can look up who that is and you can visit freethinkmedia.com or freethink.is, which I actually think would be a great brand name, but no one agrees with me. Um, and check out uh, what we're doing over there at Freethink. New videos just about every week. Uh, unless I screw something up. Uh, shouts out to the whole team at Freethink Media who give me a great deal of latitude to uh, to come and do this podcast. Uh, and shouts out to the folks at Reason. Shouts out to uh, to uh, Michael Moynihan, who is not here and who we d- will disparage mercilessly, mercilessly after the show is over. Michael Malice for joining us here in the studio. Go buy his books, any book that has his name on it, buy it. And uh, Matt Welch of Reason Magazine. Matt, 
Malice, thank you for being here. All of you, thanks for showing up. Go write a review. Share this podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. Holla back. We know of new methods of attack. <laughs>